Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. You didn't you didn't get moved up fast enough. Um <laughs> to say your name it seemed like you were kind of you know you're kind of back and then you came forward yeah and then i realized that i have this yeti mic and i was like i really don't need to move to the mic this isn't the 80s where you used to have to like hold it under your chin or whatever yeah so well, yeah i know <laughs> kind of like what i'm using i'm because i have i have a dynamic mic where it only catches the sound from one direction you know ah. it's so funny um since doing this with you, Ed, I've learned so much about equipment, mics, lighting, video, like this, like all of these elements that people do not realize that take place uh, when producing something like this. And like, and even you said, you said, uh, you told me you're like, oh, I was going to do it on the chair, but the lighting's not right. And I'm like, way to go, man. Like you yeah. completely, like you, before we did this, you'd have never thought of that. No, I definitely, I was like, well, I actually even thought about riding the, the exercise, the indoor trainer and doing an episode, but then That'd I was like, ah, the background noise would be, that would be loud. Cause I, <laughs> cause if yours is like mine, it's like, it is. Yeah. 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 Much different, much different. Well, um, well, Hey, if you're listening today, we we're glad you're here. We're glad that you want to join us again. Um, we're going to get into a really great topic. Um, and we're, if you've noticed, We've done a lot of leadership lessons of history, and we're trying to weave this into like interviews and different stuff. And today's leadership lessons, I think, is a really good one. Um, it, and it's truly about American history. Couldn't be the history of anybody else but America. Um, and it's you know it's dealing with you know the Battle of Gettysburg. But before we get into that, Ed, we need to talk about some things just to kind of get things out there. My question to you, and I didn't ask you before the show because I didn't want to. Uh oh. Yeah, like you know what I mean? I mean, you know, I've always got some kind of plotting thing I'm doing back here that I think <laughs> about before we get into the show. Do we is this the time for the announcement of where we're going next? Is this it or are we waiting? You know, I I mean, we could do you want to wait for 100? I mean, I I'm almost over waiting. I ain't gonna lie to you. I've been trying to think about it and Well, uh, I mean, I No, we could yeah, we could do it. I mean, the I listeners think, will be happy. I think the attire is proper. Uh, oh, to get into it, one for us. at least you. Yeah, I could have switched. Yeah. I could have done yours too. <laughs> you could have. You could have because yeah. you've been where you've been where I'm going, and now that I know, and and it's obviously mine's not certain, right? So they say they tell us they tell us, hey, listen, this is projected. Things could happen. You could actually get trans. You like you could literally be on the road going where to your next one. Already signed out everything, and they say we need you to turn around. And you need to go to X. That's thousands of miles away. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So I've seen it. I have seen it. <laughs> Anyways, so this is the announcement then. We're gonna do it. All right. So I like yours so much. I'll we'll go mine first because I, I, I enjoy yours more than I do you, mine. Um I'm excited, <laughs> but I am excited that I'm gonna be going and joining uh um a, a colleague of mine that I've already worked with. And I'm really excited about that because I already know his work ethic, I know the type of leader he is. Uh, but I'm I'm going to be heading to Fort Hood, Fort Hood, Texas. Uh, America's joining, first team. Yep, uh, going to the first uh, first cab there, and I'm going to be a part of that that particular unit there. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, but 
it's it's our chance to see something new right it's it's our chance yeah. as a family um and that's one of the things i've talked about before with uh friends and, and my wife is you know if if it wasn't for what we do for work then i wouldn't have had such a the, the cool experiences that i have of traveling like you you Absolutely. were <laughs> where you are right now like you did you think ed before you get to your big announcement because yours is yours is exciting to me i'm like i'm really i'm hinting excited. about it right now you are i can see it i can see it um would you have thought, let's say when you graduated high school, that no. you would have got the chance to travel <laughs> Europe like you have? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, even when I came in the military the first, you know, way back in 1991, I, I still didn't. I still didn't think that it was going to be a thing. And then as my career progressed and I kept going to the same places mm-hmm. and spending seven years in one place i said yeah this might not happen this might be it so yeah, and and really i'm gonna tell you and what we do and for for those who serve that are listen to the podcast they're gonna find it odd but i'm going to retire at 26 years of service and i will have only been to four duty stations in 26 years because I'm wow. going back to one of my previous duty stations. Yeah? What is it? Again, what is it? You're going to tell us? Yeah. I am going back to the mighty 101st. I am projected. <laughs> I'm going to take the hat off, but the hair. Uh, <laughs> That's I am projected my. to go to Bastogne, to the Bastogne Brigade. Oh, man. That could change, of course, but as of right now. Uh, super historic brigade, you know. So mm-hmm. and, yeah, it is, and and we're going to do a show down the road about leadership lessons. Yes, dealing with Bastogne. Yes, we are. It's one of my favorite. Actually, uh, my next day off, I am going up there to do research for my master's thesis. Yeah. Uh, while my wife is at work, I'm going up to the museum up there and gonna see if I can get access to their little archives and try to do some actual in-person research. So I'm actually excited, excited about that. But I, uh, yeah, like I, I am professionally and personally jealous. That is just me. And people are probably like, you nerds. I'm like, no man, like you don't understand that history. Like, like I get goosebumps thinking of the history. However, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. I get to go join the history of the first cab. It's your, it was one, what it was your first unit. Well, it was my first when I came back. It was my second. Oh, when you came back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you, Brian, the, so you're going, let's think about it, right? You're an aviator. Yep. Right? You're going right mm-hmm. to the birthplace of air mobile action in Vietnam. And Which you're is? going to the home of. Yep. How more? Uh, how more? Like, yep. uh, I mean, and the museum there is fantastic. So, I mean, you're going to get a Stetson. Yep. Might as well embrace that. <laughs> I uh, know. <laughs> That's I'm not a big fan of the uh, the stuff. Recommended. But I mean, hey, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, I'll probably have to get one. Yeah, but yeah, no. like, um, yeah, you're it's going cool. right there where Hal Moore did his thing uh, for many, many years. So I mean, there's some there's some great things to it, parts to it. So yeah, it's interesting. It's it's I think it's going to be a, a good time. Um, if, if you're watching, you can kind of see I, I had a little surgery. Yeah, what's going on there? Week. Nah, well, you know. Um, I think I announced it previously about like the, I had a bicycle accident back in September. Mm. Basically that accident uh, led to getting an MRI 
And then that showing, hey, you've got a damaged shoulder that you've done for multiple years and you did not know that was injured because basically what the doc said is, is the muscle has been growing over it and holding the shoulder together, doing what it needed to do, almost overcompensating, right? Um, wow. But there's all kinds of things in there. So what they did to kind of give brief synopsis, uh, they detached the, there's two parts of the bicep. There's one that comes down here by the pec and one that goes up over the shoulder. So they clipped that bicep from up above the shoulder and then reattached it down lower. Um, and then they also went in and they shaved what's called an AC joint. So now I'll, I won't have as much pain when I reach over, like I take my arm and I reach over this way. I'll be able yeah. to do that. And then they went in, you know, and they cleaned up inside the joint. So, and they said that the inside of the joint wasn't so much bad. It was just all the damage I've done. Um, in, you'll, you'll respect this. He called it an old soldier injury. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand that at first. And he said, well, we see it commonly in older soldiers because of all the things we do that utilize our shoulders. You know, it's wearing the rucksacks, putting, carrying uh, tons of gear, heavy mm -hmm. loads, just a lot of the things. Uh, it just, over time, it's worn itself out. So um, the good thing is, is, you know, it's fixed. Uh, they think I'll be, I'll be fine to uh, do whatever I need to four to six weeks, you know, cause I'm, and to be honest, I'm trying to train up. I want to be able to get to a point I was getting at that point before I had the surgery, but I want to get to point um, in May. Uh, there's a ultra marathon up in Pine, Arizona, and uh, I want to go do it, man. 50K. I just in May. Yeah, in May. So in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. It's early, so uh, I get you. I get you. I, I get you. It's gonna be warm. <laughs> well, I, I've got I've got good hydration. I got good hydration sources. I've got. I got a few companies I've been working with, you know, so uh, oh, I got a nice hydrate. <laughs> I got a nice adventure hydration pack. I got, I got the, uh, I got the, the actual drink to help keep me hydrated. So I'm not so much worried about it, you know, um, okay. I'm excited, but I'm excited, man. Like it's, you know, we've talked about it on, oh, I'm about to destroy things here. Uh, we've talked about on the show. Like it's like these goals we set for ourselves and it's, it's looking forward to reaching that goal. Like, it's not about like, am I the fastest guy out there? It's not about like, it's just not about that stuff. It's not about a medal or anything like that. It's about going to the starting point and then reaching the end point. You know, like it's, it's the adventure that I'm looking for. And I, mm -hmm. whether I'm running or walking and it's mainly trails, uh, it's just the fact that I do it, man. Like I enjoy it. Like, you know, well, you know what it's like. You've yeah, done we gotta challenge ourselves. We have to challenge yeah. ourselves. I mean, physically, Mentally, I mean, there's a reason that, you know, you, you finish your master's and you're like, ah, okay, go after this doctorate. There's a reason that you, <laughs> yeah. you know, you continue this lifelong learning process because you have to challenge yourself because yeah. you don't want to just, you know, end up on the couch playing bingo on your computer or something. So, yeah. Well, and it's uh, funny. It's funny you say that because I think like you and I were both talking, we were talking before the show and you're talking about uh, basically starting your process to get out and stuff. But you were mentioning yes. about Troops of <laughs> Teachers, uh, which is a great program. Um, and you talked about becoming a teacher. And then that's also something I'd like to get into or be a professor or teacher. Well, you know, either one. Either. Yeah. And I think to myself, it's like, you know when there's a passion, right? You understand. And it's like, it's the fact that I could probably end up teaching the same thing to people the rest of my life. And each time I get to see a little light bulb click on. Oh, it's that yeah. feeling. Uh, you know what I mean? I think that's what's right. Yeah, I mean, and, and it is. I, 
when I changed my degree uh, to military history, it just I it was my I found a passion and and it really lit a fire. And uh, now, like I'm I'm looking forward to. I mean, I'm a, I'm a professional procrastinator normally. Yeah, and uh, we talked before the show about you and I both building those final projects, right? But yeah, but my masters, I won't be done for two years. But I'm yep. doing the annotated bibliography, starting the research now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I could have done those things in this class that I'm in now to pass. Hey, here's my research proposal. Here's some annotated yep. bibliography about whatever. But I was like, why not gear it towards the end state and, and work towards that? Because that's a drive. And then you get that passion. And I've learned some things, man. I, yeah. I'm going to tell you, um, I'll have to do some research on it. I wonder if there's some leadership lessons I couldn't find for the Red Ball Express. And I, I think that would be a good show. Um, to, to do maybe, maybe towards the end of this month, this particular month is important for that operation. If, if nobody knows what it is, but yeah. Well, it's so cool to like be researching things and be like, Hey, I never even heard of this because world war two has so many layers and so many operations and mm. you know, so much to it. Um, yeah. I'm, st- I, I, I get excited to learn. I, Man, as soon as I learned what that was, I said, oh, I got to find more. And then I found a video at the National Archives about the Red Ball Express. And then I found a 1950s movie about the Red Ball Express. And I was like, ooh, okay. Really? Check this out. Yeah. So there's a lot out there. And it's like, okay, this is awesome. So, you know, uh, before we can't get, we can't get to leadership lessons in World War II. And we know we're going to do a Battle of the Bulge one. We already talked about that. Yep. You're talking about Red Bulls. But we can't get there until we deal with another war. We've got another this, war to talk about. This is uh this is one that really went not this particular battle but this war uh ignited my a lot of my passion about military history because of where we were stationed. Yeah. Right? So I mean a stone's throw literally a stone's uh that makes more sense if you understand the civil war. Uh, uh, uh but in Murfreesboro there's the battle of Stone River. Um so there was so much in that area. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. And I started some of my first battlefields in Chattanooga and Murfreesboro and Clarksville right there for Donaldson. Donaldson. Um, yeah. Yep. Donaldson. So I was like, I went and seen a reenactment there. It was one of my first reenactments. Uh, yeah. And then the next summer I went to a little, <laughs> little place out in Pennsylvania uh, where the battle takes place. Uh, that is really super significant to the, the civil war. Yeah, and uh, really, so it was. I was so drawn in at that at, at Gettysburg. That's what we're talking about. We're going to talk um, about it. Yeah, I, Brian, I was so into it that we didn't even finish the tour, oh, the battlefield tour. It's so huge, first of all, and we drove, and we still didn't make it through the whole thing. Uh, really? Yeah, the wife has promised to take me back. My brother doesn't live too too far from there, so. Um, but I did get to see certain things. I got to see, you know the high ground. I got to see where picket launches charge from. I got to see, they have a, a monument where Lee stood, you know, right. at, at points, different significant points in the battle. So mm-hmm. yeah. So Gettysburg, Brian, Gettysburg wow, get, is, mm. man, that's what we're getting into. We're going to get into, yeah. basically we're going to talk about four leadership lessons uh, from the battle of Gettysburg. Uh, before I do that, that we got to make, we got to throw the statement out there. We always, we try to do as much as possible, but the thoughts and opinions that we give during this show today, it has no, it is not uh, 
the same thoughts and opinions of the United States Army, the U.S. government, or anything like that. We're just giving our point of view on how we feel and our experiences on some leadership lessons that we found about this particular battle. And it's and it is key. Um, we're not going to focus, and that's the other thing to uh, audience. We're not going to focus on the reason for the war. Like that's there's that's a whole nother thing. That's that yeah. that could be. I mean, we could spend weeks on talking about that. What we're going to focus on is we want to pull out key leadership lessons learned from this particular battle. So, you know, um, can it be a sensitive topic for some people? And they and, and you brought up like you brought up Robert E. Lee. Can could that be a sub? Yes, but that's not the point behind this show. It's not to highlight somebody uh, who fought for one side or another. Or anything. What it's to do is to highlight lessons we can learn from history. Yeah. Because just as well as you know, Ed, as I do, history is key into being successful for the future. We can learn from these things and we have like there's there's so much we've learned from all the different uh scenarios even the stuff we've talked about you know it just it doesn't matter. So I think I just want to make sure everybody understood yeah. that. Um so uh what, what you got you you going to you got anything you want to say cuz you just seem like you're you're itching. I like oh, being able to itching. see you. I'm itching because it's it's my thing, Brian. It's my thing. Yeah. I enjoy this stuff and I mean, the Civil War was originally my focus until I found out I was coming to Germany. And I said, oh, maybe I should do yeah. my degree focusing on World War II since I'm going to be over there. Now yeah. I'm going back. So, oh, yeah. you may have to change it. Oh, no. I, I told my wife I'm buying, the full, I'm buying a full battle dress and I'm going to become a reenactor at Fort Donaldson. I'm going to have the beard for it when I retire. I promise. Well, next, thing you know, <laughs> next thing you know, you'll be out there LARPing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Um, most of our material, um, you know, we, we try not to steal stuff from people. We try to, um, we like to find stuff. So we do a lot of research that don't, no, don't think we don't, we just grab something off the internet and read it. Um, but we do like to give credit also this, uh, a lot of the ideas we're pulling from comes from, uh, an author by the name of Samantha Ferrigno. Um, and basically she kind of put a lot of this stuff together back in 2016, but let me just jump right in and then we'll start the discussion point. So four leadership lessons. From the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, when you attend the Gettysburg Leadership Institute, and you'll immediately be introduced to a set of strong leaders, Confederate General Robert E. Lee and Union General George G. Meade. I actually have a post named after uh, me and Lee. Yeah. And, they're both, and they're both in the Virginia area, aren't they? Uh, let's see. These Civil War leaders and their leadership decisions determine the fate of a nation. Imagine if you will, three days resulting in 46,000 casualties, killed, wounded, or missing. These three uh, hard-fought hard days offer an excellent and engaging resource for the study of leadership. The complexity of the battle, the size of the armies, and the wide spectrum of personalities, all of which offer an extensive range of perspectives that are useful to those who work in local government. Here are several, there are several ways leadership in the Battle of Gettysburg translates to leadership in a daily life of local government and managed. So this is what we're going to get into. We got uh, four here. The very first one, Ed, I'm going to start us off nicely. I hate, you know, I, I got my, I, I looked at my watch and I get the, see, there we go. I'm arriving home already. I get the spam, you know, like, you come back. Do you guys get spammed a lot there? No, on your phones and stuff, man. Hey, no. You come back to the states, prepare, brace yourself, my friend. Um, my phone. I bet you I have to do block. Uh, I have to block 
numbers all the time because I'm really man. yeah man it's crazy anyways i digress <laughs> uh, leadership lesson number one you must be able to adapt oh i love this let's remember that battle of gettysburg was unplanned so there's no plans involved Mm-mm. so both army commanders had to adapt to their surroundings and be agile it was george it was general george g meade that continued to adapt that led to the union defeating the Confederates. All right. So here, here's, and I'm going to go through the leadership lesson uh, from this and then uh, we'll discuss it. Ed. So leadership in daily life, the ability to adapt is crucial to the profession and how well a manager and its staff embraces shifts or problems in the community and uses them to enhance it as a vital measure of effectiveness. Managers and their staff should explore new skill sets as they take on new responsibilities and focus on ways to assess their organization's structure, leverage resources to maximum potential, and take advantage of opportunities for community partnership. All right, so we're looking at our ability, we're thrown into a situation, and we've done we've done a show on crisis management, right? Yeah. And that, and I think that's kind of what that hits upon. But you're thrown into this situation, and you've got to make decisions off of what you have. I would tell you that basically, you have to do a quick assessment, and then you can make decision. Now, is the decision always the right decision? No. However, you've got to make a decision. You can't sit there and be. Uh, 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 you know, that type of attitude. And when you think of like, take new responsibilities, right? Um, I may come into an organization. Uh, let's go back to, uh, we talked about it a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. We talked about the, uh, I said it was a mattress store, right? I'm a mattress salesman. Yeah. I don't know why mattresses is on my mind. I, I, I've enjoyed my sleep the past few days, maybe. Um, so I'm the manager at this store and boom a fire happens at the warehouse. What do I do? You know, like it's not part of this store, but it's part of the warehouse. Now I've got issues. I've got to deal with these issues. I've got to, I've got to still deal with my customers, get my customers, their product when they want it. But my supplier, I don't have, I don't have mattresses coming in. So you think about it, like that, there's a new responsibility added to my already, my responsibilities of already running this store. I've got, I've got a responsibility to my organization. I've got a, a responsibility to my cons, my customers and stakeholders. I've got a I've got a responsibility to the employees who work there, right? So I have to be able to make an adjustment to figure this out, man. Um, and then we talk about focus on ways to assess the organization's structure. Oh, now I got I, I so we're talking about this warehouse, right? This warehouse is down, so now I have to be able to go after uh, finding the same products somewhere else possibly yeah maybe we have a different warehouse somewhere else so like there's all these different things we have to do we have to be able to adapt and be agile uh and that's one of those things that we get assessed on it um in in our yearly evals is our uh, ability to to adapt and be agile so what what are your thoughts on this my man yeah i i think that uh you know we've talked a few times about creativity critical thinking skills that's where these skills come in is being able to adapt i also think um there can be a lot said for experience making you easy making things easier to adapt and and be able to overcome i like your example too though because really you know when when something happens like you it being having this where this mattress in the warehouse store where the warehouse burns down right but 
that doesn't mean, oh, sorry, you're never going to get your bed. I need to find how can I help my customers? What can I do? And so when you, you use that kind of an analogy, it's the same thing within your organization. Like when you hit that that resistance or that that wall, like you need to figure how you're going to navigate that. Um, yeah. And that's where that yeah. adaptability comes. And and they do a good job here with George, with General Meade talking about him uh, being able to do this. This is something happening all the time, especially in these kind of um, conflicts back then is the ability to adapt. You know, a leader who couldn't adapt was not going to be a successful leader. Um, oh, absolutely. It, it, yeah. And I think I just think it's important to understand that. And, and then the, from the um, like whoever the higher ups are in your organization. Right. What's important from them is that they allow you that ability to adapt mm. because you may be a mid-level manager, right? But you need to have that freedom to be able to adapt and to, you know, uh, execute. So, or as we used to say in, in the military, as we used to say in the army back in the day, and I haven't heard it in years, but adapt and overcome, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but, but that, that senior leadership has to make you comfortable and, 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 build you up to where you're comfortable to make those kind of yeah. decisions. So, yeah. And, and so what I heard from you though, is I heard some decentralized command in there. It, oh, yeah. I feel like that's what I heard. And so basically what we're saying is there's multiple elements that have to go into play here. You know, um, constantly we can't look at leadership and the dynamics of it or learning mm -hmm. lessons from leadership. We can't look at it from one point of view or just one element. We have to look at multiple elements. So we're saying I'm giving the ability yeah. to adapt through decentralized command. And now I have to take the responsibility to push forward. Oh, by the way, um, you still got to have emotional intelligence. You still have to have social intelligence. Oh yeah. By the way, you also have to be able to communicate to people. So like there's all this stuff that's getting thrown in the mix and it's just like a, you know, you're just, you're still adding ingredients to this gumbo of leadership. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> gumbo of leadership. Yeah. You know, my question to you is this, and this is, you're going to find this funny is why did you let me do number one? You were supposed to do number one. Well, I wasn't, uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure. You, once you went, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have put you on the spot. I was just going to roll you with should've. you. I was going to adapt. Uh, and there then, you uh, go. Follow your lead. If you wanted me to do the next one, or if you wanted to get back on track or yeah, I didn't know. So we just went yeah, with it. You're going to do the next two. How about that? But oh. I just, I found it, I found it funny. Like, okay. So, <laughs> you know, with with surgery comes uh, pain medication, and obviously I've taken one this morning before we got started. <laughs> and I get so I get so tunnel vision and focus, you know. Um, yeah. Side note, side note. Um, I sat here the past two mornings, not this morning, but two mornings prior, um, sitting at my computer, basically just rifling through my college uh, um, uh, <laughs> library, finding re references and stuff. Brother, for so basically, it's it's kind of the workup for my dissertate, my doctorate dissertation. Yeah. And right now, I've got fifty five references. I built a reference list, and I've downloaded. Wow. Now I got to read those. Yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> I asked I asked for everybody to keep me in their thoughts on that one. Yeah. Oh man, that's a lot, man. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm doing so I'm doing the exact same thing. Smaller yes. numbers. I had fifteen due last Sunday, and I got through those. But it was just like your initial impression. Uh, unfortunately, I decided to use a whole lot of doctrine from the early periods of World War II. And yeah. now I got to go back and read 
the operation order for D-Day. I got to read how the plan mm-hmm. logistics, the AAR yeah. comments for the two fifth army and first army. Yeah. Great, compelling stuff. <laughs> I bet. I bet you, you like you, you just come mesmerized by all yeah. the wonderfulness of it. Yeah. So, but we're adapting, well, right? But they, and they did do AARs, which helps you to adapt, right? Absolutely. So all let's right. talk about this next one, Ed, give us, give it to yep. us, my man. Here we go. So you should, oh, this is great. You should inspire and lead. One of the greatest stories of the Battle of Gettysburg is that of Colonel Chamberlain. Uh, he was a um, Bowdoin College graduate and professor. Chamberlain led the 20th Maine. Brian, shout Woo! out to the 20th Maine. Yeah. Who held the extreme left flank on Little Round Top, which is one of the hills there in Gettysburg. Chamberlain made the daring decision to charge down the hill at the Confederates after his men ran out of ammunition, even participating in this action. After sustaining heavy casualties during the hours-long action, the regiment attacked forcefully again with bayonets, leaving the command at the top of the hill. If Chamberlain had instead ordered for his regiment to withdraw, the Union left flank would have collapsed and possibly led to the defeat of the Union. Oh, wow. So just real quick background on it. So what's happening is the the, the Union is on the hill. The Confederates keep charging up, and they're shooting them back, right? Well, now they're, they're running out of ball ammunition, and they can tell, they can see the Confederates are gearing up for another charge. And so we're, we're up here, they're down here, right? And Chamberlain gives the order, affix bayonets. And so Ooh. now he just, hey, they're coming up, they're shooting, they're coming down, they're shooting what they got left, but they're stabbing. Boom, collide in the middle, but he held, holds that hill because if he loses, anybody who knows anything about strategy and tactics, you don't want to lose the high ground. If yeah. you lose the high ground, you could be in a lot of trouble. So yeah, I think but what about you know, when you go into that, when you go into that, Ed, I think it's key to mention what you just said there. It's the ball ammunition. So we're talking muskets. We're talking. <laughs> it takes a little bit of time to reload. Yes, I right? do not remember the time, but it is like it's. I believe it's more than sixty seconds per yeah. shot. So um, absolutely. Not- Ideal. <laughs> so the idea of fixed bayonets and charging, yeah, that is a strategic idea of all right, we've got to time this, you know, because obviously not everyone's shooting the at the same time. Like there's it's boom, 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 boom like and then they're yeah. reloading. But however, it's like we can actually save some lives by making this charge. We um because if they come at us, they're gonna take us out. However, yeah. let's make this charge. And we're going to time it in between these different shots. So we actually have a chance to go physically one-on-one and defeat them. So, I <laughs> yeah. mean, that's to me, that's, that's really having a lot of forethought and, and good commander's vision. Yeah. I mean, and they also, they understand the importance. So one of the big things about Gettysburg, the big concern is if, if the union loses Gettysburg, they're worried Washington DC is next. Yeah. And so that is the huge concern around this is we cannot lose Gettysburg uh this fight. So No. Um, but what no. about in daily life? So in yeah. daily life, it is your job as a leader to inspire and motivate your team to reach greatness. You can do this leading by example, being decisive, pushing the team's limits, not imposing fears. 
holding your team accountable is showing confidence through your very yeah. own purpose and role. So one of the ones that it makes me think of is the Confederate general. Everybody knows the name Stonewall Jackson. And yeah. this is one where uh, this would be another perfect example for this because that's how he gets the name is they're they're in the wilderness. They're during that campaign, they're fighting. And then you look out, the soldiers look out and there's Jackson standing, sitting on his horse. And somebody says, look at him standing there like a great stone wall. And that's kind of where the name comes from because he's at the front and his soldiers are inspired by that to fight. And, you know, so that, that we upfront leadership, good, googly moogly. How many times do we talk about upfront leadership being connected? Yeah. Get out there, be where they can see you. Yes. You know, uh, battlefield circulation, you know, and I, matter of fact, I just had this conversation with my first sergeant this week because she has been really drawn into a lot of things. She just had a new commander come in and, uh, and she feels bad because since the new commander took over, she hasn't been able to get out the office to circulate enough because she understands the importance of that. But we're a senior mm-hmm. level staff, Brian. Like if you see anything under uh, a SARM first class NCO, they're unicorns. They're very rare. So, wow. Yeah. So we're seniors, but at the same time, she still feels like those seniors need to see her, you know, out there. Um, when we had the allied refuge, I remember going out there with her and I said to her, I said, so this is when they first started bringing them in, you know? And I said to her, I said, what are you doing? Like, how long have you been here? Well, since Friday, I said, first sergeant, it's Sunday evening. And you've yeah. been here since Friday morning. She's like, yeah. I said, did you leave at all? And she's like, no. Said, so you're saying right. there's limits. There's limits. And I told her, you know, and that goes into my next point. So there's limits. And I told her, I said, you have other mass arms that you could say, hey, I need a couple hours. I just got to take a knee. Here's what's going on. Take right. over this for me. Right. But that's that's the trust she needed to show in her team which is our next point, Brian. It is. Um, you know, I want to go back to the, would you right, talk go about back there, to where no? you were and then we'll come back to tr- show yes, you absolutely. should trust your team. Yep. Right. So reach greatness. This, here's the deal. It, it, it said that here, um, reaching greatness to me. It's like, it's always trying to be like, you can't, you can't like just reach it and be like, Oh, you know what? I've reached the pinnacle. Oh, um, <laughs> life's over. That's good. No, you've got to constantly be working towards <laughs> this in whatever efforts you have, you know, and, um, you know, in whether it be in your, your personal life, your work life, your hobbies, your, you know, taking care of self, we've talked about self-care, like it doesn't, there, there's no, there's no pinnacle, right? right. There's no, there's 100%. no, there's no manual in life that says, all right, if you do all this, you've achieved, uh, and you can just kind of quit. Like there's no such thing. No. Um, and then when you get into this, you talk about, uh, leading by example. Okay. We understand that. Like that's basically to me, there's a lot that goes into leading by example. And a part of it is is the idea of I'm going to do the things that I tell you I'm going to do, one. Two, I'm going to set the example for others. I'm not going to be like, say, hey, you're, you should be doing A, but I'm going to do B, right? You you all should do A, all right? But yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to do B because I'm, I'm who I am. Do as no. I say, not as I do. Yeah, it's not right. That's <laughs> yeah, not how absolutely. you do things. Right? I hate that phrase. <laughs> oh, it drives me nuts. Uh, yeah. Being decisive. Like, I will tell you, of all the things throughout 23 years of doing this, right, if there's anything that has 
upset me. One of them is the indecisiveness. Now, I will say that, you know, there are those individual leaders who, um, they're just not, they're counterproductive. They create a really mm-hmm. negative atmosphere, all this stuff. However, being indecisive to me is almost as equal as having a negative atmosphere because yeah. you have, especially when you're in charge, right? And that's what hey, people listening, they need to think about this. When you're in charge, your job or your decisions affect all those people within your realm, you know, um, whether you're let's whether you're a squad leader, whether you're a platoon sergeant, whether you're a, a manager of a store, a district manager of a company, you have to think about like and this is I think this goes back to the the ideas uh, supporting servant leadership, authentic leadership, transitional, transactional leadership, all these different elements. Um, it even, buddy, it even uh, goes into the the leader member exchange theory, which I could I could talk days about that. I've been doing a lot of learning on that. Um, <laughs> but it's being decisive yeah. and realizing, okay, I'm going to make a decision. The decision I make, it's going to affect X, Y, and Z. Right. And if it affects those, well, how is it going to affect them? So now I've got to think about, but I got to do this in rapid succession. Right. Sometimes, sometimes our, you know, we don't have, I don't have 12 hours to come up with a decision. Sometimes I got 30 minutes. Sometimes I got 10 minutes and I got to think, I've got to do quick decision making. Uh, And that's, to me, that's part of that. And then, I'm sorry, bro. So I just want to jump on. I want to jump on that one too because go ahead. So so 100% agree, right? Being decisive, but one of the other points is in here not imposing fear. So if I'm the senior person, right, in the organization, yeah, and I impose yeah. that fear. Now Brian's afraid to be decisive. I'm not allowing Brian to continue his growth in the organization yeah. as a leader because he's afraid to make decisions. So we as seniors need to recognize that and, and and navigate that to not be the case, right? Because especially those brand new, I know you've seen it a million times, I have, those brand new sergeants, they're in charge officially, no more informal leadership with the E4 mafia. They're really in charge, but they yeah. don't want to make a decision because they don't want to get in trouble, yep, right? They're worried and, that, yep. and we need to nurture that and provide yeah. them those small decision points that we want them to make. Just give them that little bit of rope. And then when they mess it up, it's not a major decision. You can say, hey, here's what you should have thought of also. Or did yeah. you think of this? So that's how you grow that leader. But, yeah, when you were talking about it, as soon as I, I was looking, I said, I know it said fear. I know it said fear. You and did. Not imposing fear because but let's, I'm not going to make a decision if I'm afraid to get fired. <laughs> no, and, and I love what you said there, right? So we talked about not imposing fear. So you talked about uh, fear being generated within another a subordinate leader to not make a decision. Yeah. How about that? There's more fear here, right? <clears throat> so what if the fear is the decision you just made puts me in fear of all of us losing our job because it was the wrong decision? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's Or it's the fear that you made a call to go into battle and charge and it's going to get everybody killed. Pick it. Um, right? There's... <laughs> There's a, no, there's a yeah. lot of, like, so, you, you know, as a leader, as, as an influencer, as, as learning from these lessons, we have to look at the multiple elements of fear too, Yeah. on top of communication. So it's like, it's this crazy revolving thing. And, and if people will notice, uh, ever since we started this show, it's like, how can you and I get as much information out there that we can, that we're learning. And then we're trying to understand 
to the masses as fast as possible to help people think about these things, right? Now, can you constantly be um, risk adverse uh, and, and, and delineate any fear? Mm-hmm. No, you can't always do that. Sometimes it's just going to happen. However, it is our job and it is our responsibility to kind of push that. Um, and then there at the end, it talks <laughs> about hold your team accountable. We talk about that. Um, I, have a, I have a brief saying. It's a accountability of responsibility. So you should, mm-hmm. you should always be accountable of your responsibilities. Always. That's no one That's, else. Yeah. Nothing, nothing makes me uh, more upset with a jun- like somebody who's junior when they say, well, um, you know, I had it going this way, but because such and such happened, uh, it's not, you know, it's not my fault. I, I, you know, no, stop. Because that's called it's called ownership. I need you to be have some ownership. Yeah, you may have not seen that coming, but what you do is you own it and say, you know what? I didn't see it coming. I'm learning mm-hmm. from this. I just learned from that. I'll see it coming next time. You know what I mean? Like those are the types of things that uh, just kind of that re- the relay in my head is like, hey, don't give me excuse. Like my daughter, um, I love her to death, and she'll she'll say I hope something, so. right? <laughs> oh, she she uh, just sometimes she looks at me with those baby blue eyes. Um, but she'll, she'll say, well, I didn't know this, or I didn't know that, or my teacher didn't say this. I said, I got it. That's understandable. But also what you do is you learn to take that responsibility on and say, well, maybe I should ask questions or, you know, and I, I try to teach, I don't, sometimes that I don't know if what I'm saying is the right thing all the time, you know, as a parent, because being a parent is tough. You know what I mean? Um, Believe me. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I know, you know, um, but it's it's getting your children to to say you know hey it's my fault or just getting them to take ownership you know what I mean like not having and it's a I good didn't lesson. know that's a good it lesson is. to learn for them I think it's important yeah. that we do teach our children to take accountability you know I I, I used to tell my kids all the time um, life is about choices and you accepting the consequences of those choices good and bad yes. and my kids will tell you that and my my son is excellent. I, I'm a, I ain't lie, my son is excellent at it. He's made some decisions that maybe they weren't the greatest, but he accepts that I made those decisions and yeah. X, Y, and Z happened because I made that decision. He, he's not always, he, as he's gotten older, when he was way younger, yeah, he looked for that out. But so that's, that's yeah. A, yeah. And this, that's a pet peeve for me is the accountability, but mine is a little bit different. So my problem is when you're in an organization and you rely on another part of the organization for products that feed what you do, right? Right. And they don't meet the deadlines. So you step over into their area because you can't do, you're going to fail if you, if they fail. Right. Right. And it's known, but nobody holds them accountable for failing because the mission happened in the end, because I stepped out of my area to make it happen. And that was all, that's always one of my big problems. Like if they fail, you know that they did the wrong thing. Why aren't they being held accountable? Because you're hurting the organization. Because now the norm is my section does this, but we can also do this too when we need to. Well, I'm not getting punished for not doing what I was supposed to do. So why would I do it when they're going to do it? So let's just let it go. Uh, So that's my problem. That's where I look at accountability. It's a huge pet peeve for me. Hold them accountable. If they did wrong, hold them accountable and let's move on. Well, you know, I think, I think. Doing that leads you into your next bullet point. When you hold people accountable and they show what they can, 
that they can perform or they can accept it, I think it leads right to what you're going to talk about next. Ed. Yes. So next, Brian, we got uh, – this is one that I really like. You should show trust in your team. Yeah. <clears throat> the night before the third day uh, at the Battle of Gettysburg, General Robert E. Lee from the uh, Army of the Virginia – of Northern Virginia made his day three decision alone. So everything with the battle, he did mm. compartmentalize. On the contrast, General George Meade held a council of war discuss, to discuss battle tactics. Meade's council of war showed investment in his people and in the mission, while Lee dictated strategy without accepting input from trusted subordinates. Right. This goes kind of back to the other thing, too, the danger of this. So when we say you should inspire and lead, well, you should be have a presence, right? You should be at the front. And Lee may have this much of the picture, but there's right. this much going on. So you're making your decision off of what you have in your view, right, without them, where with Mead, uh, with Mead, in contrast, Mead sees this, right? But then one of his generals adds this to the picture for him and gives him that yep. vision. Another general gives this. Another gen- right now, I have a big picture of yeah. what is really going on here at Gettysburg on day three. So, yeah, um, I, so I, I would compare that figuratively, um, in a sense, to taking a regular picture and then taking a panoramic picture. So if if, if anybody wants to see like it, mentally, they want to image this, right? Okay, what does that look like? What is using the team? It's take a picture and then take a panoramic picture. How much more can you see through that panoramic? Well, it's it's actually uh, unlimited versus yeah. you're limiting yourself down to that. I think it's like at 4.3 or 16.9, whatever it is, frame, right? So yeah. think about how we're framing this. Are we opening up the frame or are we not? And yeah, great point. And so, continue on, man. So with, the, with framing, Brian, this is a good project. So this is what I challenge our listeners to do. Go into a room. Cut the lights off. Make it as dark as you can, right? right? Take a flashlight and shine it at a part of the room. That is your frame. What you see where that light hits, that's my frame. But then yeah. think about everything else around the room, right? Yeah. That's what you're missing. Lee only sees where the light is hitting. Right. Mead sees the whole room as if all the lights are on. So you could do that as a, as a little thing. We used to use that in um, the instructor course when I was working with the Bearded Ninja is I could shine a flashlight and be, what do you see? Just where the light is. And then you turn on all the lights. You say, now what do you see? And they can see much more of the picture. So um, so you should tr- show trust in your team. But what about an everyday leadership? What about daily life? Uh, building trust in your team creates a strong, cohesive group. It is likely that General Meade earned his team's trust by effectively defining everyone's duties and the expectation of everyone's roles, showing a timeline of events, not overloading units with too many commitments, and encouraging his men to stand up and lead. Things you can easily implement with your staff when leading an initiative. So I want you to think of it. He's giving them his vision. This is my full-on vision. They understand it all, right? It's not the same. Um, And there are some criticisms of General Lee. That's one of his problems is he's not very decisive and he compartmentalized information a lot. So that's one of those kind of um, things. Um, So when we say build trust, I mean, you're also talking about building your leadership capital and 
You know, yeah. they feel valued. They feel like they're part of it. They get that buy-in when you involve others in the organization in yeah. your decision-making process. There, there's buy-in there, Brian. I think that's crucial. So, what are your thoughts on show uh, on show trust in your team? Because I mean, I know you do this. You have to. Absolutely. You know, hey. So <laughs> you, you, uh, you asked me what I thought there, and, and like, it's. I think that was one of my problems early on as a leader. I didn't know how to trust a team. I still, 100%. I still, but yeah. I still struggle with that, man. Like I, I personally still struggle with that idea sometimes because we don't. So when you, when you evaluate your organization or when you evaluate the people within it or just their talents and all that stuff, because that's yeah. part of the, you know, that's one of the things that you have to do when you go into a new organization. All right. I've got to, I've got to see, what are their capabilities yeah. right? and understand mm -hmm. it, but you don't see everything. You don't know everyone's talents. You don't know every, what everyone's capable of. And you, you almost have to rely upon that trust factor. Right. And sometimes you think is the mission worth the just relying on the trust or is it just, I got to run with it. And I, people wrestle with this. Yeah. So my yeah. idea, you know, when I look at this, is to show you trust in the team. Uh, my idea behind it is, you know, go ahead and do it, you know, but realize there's going to be consequences, you know, uh, and you, and you can't, you can't throw the butt in there. You know what I mean? You can't be like, Oh, but this blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, I mean, either you're in or you're out, either you're trusting them or you're not is there's no in between and, and it can be tough. Um, and we talk about it here, uh, creates a strong team, cohesive group. When you start showing that trust and you see how they can intermingle, like for instance, when Mead, you said he had the council of the, the people around him. Yeah. I I would love to be the fly on the wall, Ed, that looks at that and says, okay, so how did they go about it? What was the discussion like? Uh, was it dominant in one area? Who was, you know, because you you understand as well as group dynamics, you know, and the, yeah. and the ideas behind building good teams comes down to the group dynamics. And like, there's going to be a leader of a team. There's going to be a voice of the team. There's going to be, people who have certain types of thoughts this way and other types of thoughts that way. And it's, it's kind of like, it's this whole jumble of things where you gotta, you know, you gotta piece them together and get the right, you gotta get that right, you know, <laughs> essence um, to kind of get it. And I think about this, I thought to myself, you know, like need, he had the right idea. You know, he, he said, I don't know everything. There's no way. And yeah. for leaders to be able to do that, that is a big thing because normally you uh, a leader will think, well, I was put in this position um, off of a potential that I could lead these people. And if, and if I don't know everything or I don't know X, Y, and Z, then can I really lead them? And then you start falling into imposter syndrome and stuff like that. Uh, but instead it's, no, you were chosen to lead, not give all the answers. Not give all the answers. Yep. All Absolutely. The answers. You're leading all the brains and the bodies within your organization to do what's right. So th I think yeah. that's what's key to remember <laughs> here, right? So, um, and then uh, right here, time events, not overloading units with too many commitments. That's the other part too, you know, that you're, you're leading the organization oh, and yeah. you're saying yeah. we're going to do X, Y, and Z, but you're not like overburning. We talked, we, we did a show on burnout as a thing. You will burn out your people if you just, Everything, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. A hundred percent. Yes. I yeah. could not agree with that more. <laughs> yeah. 
So what do you got, brother? What do you think? What I had there? Yeah, I mean, you're uh, first of all, a hundred percent. You can't just keep going to the well, right? You gotta, you gotta build that team. But I, so the one thing I wanted to go back to is, you know, earlier I said one of my peeves is that um, the accountability piece, right? Holding those people accountability, and that's where this trust your in your team can become your your a, a problem for you is because yeah, they're not holding that whatever that your the other department accountable. And you need them to do your work. But if you trust in them and they're not being held accountable and they fail, you fail. So it's a balance and it's an understanding. And then from a management perspective, I think it's a holding them accountable to get them back in line so that you are getting what you need and you can trust them. Yes. Yeah. I think that's kind of when you were talking about it, it just made me think of that. Like, there are challenges. It's a challenge. Yeah. I think his war council was a brilliant idea. Um, and, and, but it's something, you know, we talk about learning from history, but there were generals in world war two that still wanted to be the single point of contact, the single person make, or excuse me, decision maker. Right. And then there were others who wanted to listen to their staff. That's why these senior leaders in the military, that's why they have staffs. Yes. They're there yes. to advise and provide that knowledge because no matter how many stars that journal is wearing, he does not know all things. No. Somebody has to give him that information. I mean, you can come out of the military. The president has people that provide him information. It's, it's the way the system's made up that he could not possibly know it all. So he has to have somebody who advises him on you know foreign relations, somebody who advises him on the economy. Uh, every organization has to have a structure, a hierarchy, and, and it's important in order to get that trust that everybody's being held accountable, everybody's performing their roles and responsibilities as they're understood, and then that's where your organization starts to really thrive. Oh yeah, definitely. You um, you know, you you kind of hit upon something there, and it kind of it sparked in my brain about that whole um, basically you you're creating a commitment. Um, to the organization in mm-hmm. a sense. Uh, we've talked, and I, I'm going to reference obviously all the time of things we have talked about. And when you're including the entire team and you're not creating that tunnel vision, you are creating also a commitment to your organization. You're creating a commitment to the success of your organization. Yes. Um, but what is this? In a sense, though, what is all this? What is what is this whole trusting in your team, creating that commitment? All this, what does that look like? in everyday jobs well it looks like this uh i'm i'm in charge i'm a manager somewhere however you know what uh i have to go i have to go to an, a doctor's appointment right i have to be able to leave my team and know that i can trust that they're going to get the job done you know i yeah. can leave them a task list i could leave them assumptions i could leave them with my intent of while i'm away but really it's the trust that I put in them while I was there that kind of trickles over to while I'm not there, right? It's like what are your what are your soldiers doing when you're not looking? Yeah, no, are, that's are a they good doing point. are they doing what's right? Or are they <laughs> doing you know you know goof off games, right? Yeah. And, and we we all know like if you <laughs> I think it's funny if you leave enough soldiers standing around a pile of rocks, sooner or later they're going to find a target and just throw rocks at it. That's that's a given. That's a fact. I right. was that soldier. That's a fact. <laughs> it is. But if that you leave them with a if you leave them with a task, 
they're going to hurry up with that task so they can throw rocks to that target. I'm yeah. just saying. <laughs> Either way, but that's that, but that's what I'm getting at. That's um, I think it was a, I think it was a great that to me is a great point uh, to bring up. Are you ready to move on to number four and close this out? I think we've already hinted at number four. We've discussed number four, so we let's did. get after number four. We may as well do it. Yeah, we we hit upon number four in in actually number two, and that's basically you must be decisive. So here we go. In the end, Meade protected Washington and preserved the Union by destroying the Confederate Army. However, he did not follow up on his victory on July 3rd. His indecisiveness and failure to launch at a timely pursuit of Lee's army caused the war to continue for an additional two years. Mm. It is important to note that although President Abraham Lincoln was disappointed that Lee was allowed to escape, he acknowledged that Meade was a very capable commander. Meade, co- Meade commanded the Union Army of the Potomac until the end of the war. So he basically, what you know, if you understand the Battle of Gettysburg, so they fought, um, and then basically the Confederates retreated. And when they retreated, Meade didn't lead a pursuit. He didn't. He didn't go after them. Yeah, he let I, them get to back me, to Virginia. He did. I think, yeah. but Ed, I I want to go on the defensive for Meade here. I think um, some of it was to regain, consolidate. You know, um, he probably could have done that a little faster. But we just mentioned it earlier. You know, the the detachment from Maine, they were they had zero ammo. So how do you pursue with zero ammo? You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's so there's I think there's circumstances. Maybe it, here's here's another thing. It could have been logistics. Maybe the logistics wasn't that wasn't able to keep up with the actual soldiers and you know you know as i do uh we can look through history and see where the logistics plays a vital role um you you the battle of stalingrad right yeah like there was you know when they when when the germans started pushing through and they kept and they were basically trying to reach moscow right the logistics could not keep up with the soldiers and i i personally feel like that's what caused that loss was because they couldn't keep up. And maybe maybe that was going on with Meade's case. I don't know because I'm not as in tune with this. Like I haven't done extensive research on this part, but I'm just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of spitballing ideas here. Um, so let's, let's talk real quick, Ed. Let's jump into these leadership in daily life. And then I want to hear your thoughts about all this. All right. Nice. So leadership, leadership in daily life. In 2014, at the 100th ICMA annual conference, Dan Heath, best-selling co-author of Decisive, introduced a four-step process that draws on extensive studies, stories, and research, and uh, offered uh, specific practical tools to help others think more clearly about their options, get out of their head, and improve their decision-making at work and at home. So basically, he further discussed he had these four biggest villains of good decision making. Ed, um, the number one was narrow, uh, narrow framing, putting blinders on. We talked about that already. Yeah. Uh, confirmation bias is number two, basically looking for information that only supports us. Uh, number three is short term emotional anxiety and stress, and then number four, overconfidence thinking. We have more than we do. And we're going to talk more probably about this in another future show. We're going to go really in depth into these uh, these four villains. All right, so awareness. Uh, awareness of the problem 
basically that author, he basically having the awareness, it's not going to be what saves us, but we, but we do need to you know, kind of go through the process and process things ourselves. So widen our option. Don't, ch- don't cherry pick. Don't be blind to choices. Consider more than one alternative. The questions should not just be whether or not to do X. Mm. I like using X, Y, Z a lot myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But should have at least one more option. So if you have have option A, you should have option B. If you have option A and B, you should have also option C. So you always want to have one more no matter what. Uh, Adding one more option can boost the odds of success. You're literally regenerating odds, all right? All right, reality test assumptions. Uh, confirmation bias interferes with our decision-making. We want something to be true. So we test our assumptions only with those who will confirm them. Yeah. <laughs> Data is not inherently an antidote to bad decisions. Push to hear disconfirming information in order to make good decisions, resist the executive bubble. I'm, I'm gonna go when we <laughs> we're gonna go back and review all this stuff. Like as you talk, uh, I, I want to like I'm gonna hit about that confirmation biasing. That's a big thing. All right, uh, attain distance before deciding. Agonizing decisions are often a sign of a values conflict. Let's uh, let's a values conflict. So we often have a decision we have to make and we haven't spaced ourselves from it because we haven't looked at it. However, it may create a values conflict. That's an internal thing. Yeah. Uh, Don't let short-term emotions interfere. Action steps to gain distance include asking if a panel of 10 citizens studied the issue for a month, what would they recommend or what would our successors do? So what we're trying to do is we're trying to take it from another point of view. And then the last one here, prepare to be wrong. Oh, too many people to do this, Ed. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to be wrong. No, they don't. They, they think if they're not right, then they, should they have be right. to be right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Set up a decision tripwire to tell us when to reconsider a decision. You may not put in place noise rules for uh, a new event ca- uh, center, but plan a review citizen complaints in six months, right? So I like that idea. And, and, and that's the tripwire for reconsidering a decision. So we're saying, hey, I've got an event um, and it's an event center. I own this event center, right? And I'm going I'm to constantly hold events here, but I need to give it some time to give myself a tripwire to know that I've got to make adjustments. So in six months, now I'm going to check and see, have there been complaints? Have there been comments on my post, uh, on my, like my Facebook page or my, yeah. you know, like, are there things people are saying that I need to know about? Right. All right. So let's back it all the way up, Ed. Um, we talked about, you must be decisive. We talked about some, uh, the, the daily lives things. Where, where did you want to go with this? Cause I know you have some thought process here that you want to kind of talk about. I know. Oh, <laughs> I can't decide. No. <laughs> yeah, I get. No, it was a lot of information. Yeah, it's a lot of. I think that the 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 tough part. I mean, I think in the future, understanding those four biggest villains, taking that different approach uh, to decision making, not yeah. always focusing on how to effectively decide, make decisions, but actually, what are the pitfalls to it? Um, 
you know, that's a big thing. And then with these guys, with the decision stuff, I mean, me could have followed. He could have followed. He could have tried to crush. But we got to think, I mean, you read off at the beginning of the episode, the casualties, how many casualties there were. Like, that has to play a role. Like you said, the logistics of it. Is his logistics prepared to move into Virginia, Uh, you know, in pursuit? When did Lee leave? So so much into it, uh, into that decision-making. But again, because he has his war council, right? I feel like this isn't me didn't just decide not to pursue. Now, he has the ultimate decision. But he made that decision based off of the information from uh, the team, his tr- the team that he trusted. So I think that's yeah. really important to understand. I mean, yeah, it would have been great to end the war two years earlier. I mean, it was such a bloody thing, um, you know. Uh, and then the other thing, and, and I meant to read this a little bit earlier, but I have here, I just want to read this real quick. This is uh, General Order number 68. It's from General Meade. Uh, and it's really, this shows you how he built his leadership and his leadership capital and how his, he got his team to trust him. And it's a short blurb. Uh, the commanding general on behalf of the country thanks the Army of the Potomac for the glorious results of the recent operations. <clears throat> An enemy superior in number and flushed with pride of successful invasion attempted to overcome and destroy this army. Utterly baffled and defeated, he has now withdrawn from the contest. The privations and fatigue the army has endured and the heroic courage and gallantry it has displayed will be matters of history to be remembered. Our task is not yet accomplished, and the commanding general looks to the army for greater efforts to drive from our soil every vestige of the presence of the invader. It is right and proper that we should, on all suitable occasions, return our grateful thanks to the almighty disposer of events that in the goodness of his providence, he has uh, thought fit to give victory to the cause of the just. And so you just kind of see that he acknowledges the gallantry and the courage of his men and, and what it means. And then at the same time, he says, but we're not done. Still work to be done here. But you know, that that's that leadership capital we've talked about many, many times. And that's his men getting this and going, wow. And then he's there. He's there in the front lines, too. He's there at the battle. He's not making these decisions from, you know, from D.C. He's making these decisions from Gettysburg. So really important. And and if you ever get a chance to go there, um, you know, to the listeners, to you, Brian, it's fantastic. Yeah. It is it is a full day, a full day. <laughs> uh, and then some, especially if you go through and, and stop at each little monument and you know, in each marker, this is where picket launch is charged. This is, you know, these different things. So, and then also Eisenhower, there's a house there unrelated to Civil War, but Eisenhower's house is there as well. Really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so let's look, let's look at these. Uh, and, and I said, we're going to, I think we're going to do a future show about these, these, uh, basically these four biggest villains of good decision-making. Um, yeah. Decision-making, I think that's, <clears throat> that's critical no matter what um as late like y- it's definitely you know, a skill that you need to refine you need to work absolutely and, and be able to yeah and to be able to recognize like these villains of the decision making yeah um if you can see those you're actually going to see through to the solutions 
but you don't do it by yourself. That's, yeah. that's key. Um, and we talked about, so narrow framing, uh, we already mentioned earlier about that whole, you talked about the flashlight. That's a narrow yeah. framing, right? Or yeah. a picture, whatever. So we're going to, we're not, we're not going to dive into that one too much, but <laughs> I know you like we the talk next about, one. yes, this confirmation bias. So confirmation bias, if, <clears throat> if you want to really compare what confirmation bias, uh, is seen as if, if you've done any type of research for school or anything like that, often we're writing a paper, we're writing something that we're trying to prove a point. We're mm -hmm. trying to prove how we feel about something in a sense, but we're trying to use authors that feel the same way. And in most cases, this is the thing, and this is what I've learned. In most cases, when we write a paper, we're using confirmation bias when we're writing those, right? If you're, if you're, if you're talking about X, Y, and Z, you're going to look through and find those authors that support X, Y, and Z, unless you're doing it argumentative, right? If I'm writing something that's argumentative, I need to find both sides so I can show an argument. Right. But in most cases, those papers are going to be done and we're using a confirmation bias. We're not searching. We're going to ignore the naysayers. We're going to ignore the information that goes against what we're trying to prove. At the same time, as a leader, um, if I have to make a decision, right? If I have to make a decision that affects my organization, affects those people who work there, and let's let's say a recent pandemic, right? I have to make a decision that affects yeah. those individuals. Maybe I'm only looking at specific areas because I don't want X, Y, and Z to be true that would go against my decision, right? And that's where that's where like it's we have to be. Uh, open to what is out there. I need to know all the information, good, bad, indifferent. It does not matter. Um, and not use this confirmation bias, basically data to prove my point. Because when you do that, now, uh, to me, Ed, I think as a leader, you're being very narrow-minded. Yeah. What we talked about earlier. You're, I mean, and then right here, exec, resist the executive bubble. <clears throat> this right here goes to the whole idea of, are you surrounding yourself with people that think just like you? Or are you surrounding yourself with people that you literally know will argue about things? I, I tend to prefer the argument one. I prefer the, I don't want yes men or yes no, women. No, absolutely yes not. It doesn't help. It doesn't yeah. help anything. Yeah, exactly. Right. So your decisions can be a lot. Now, does that mean, oh, because this person goes against me, I'm going to go with what they say all the time because they're obvious. No, it's, it's literally the fine art and science to leadership. There's an art and a science and that, mm -hmm. and that art and that science is being able to take opinion A, opinion B, fact C, fact D, and intermingling all this stuff and saying, huh, Okay, I think I have a solution here. Oh, actually, I have two or three solutions here because I was able to take all that information in um, and not being in a bubble. You yeah. know, they, they refer to the executive bubble as like basically, let's say you're the CEO of a company. You only talk to the CFO, CCO, the COO, and you're like, so you see, you got that group of four. Yeah. Well, that group of four is what's really making the decision. Well, what about how does that affect the person on the floor? subordinate Smuckatelli, right? How does that affect uh, manager um, Joe? Like, who? how does it affect all these people? Why yeah. am I not incorporating their ideas into this? You yeah, know, you're just making I, that top 
top that that top level um, decision. So, yeah. whatever that vision is at the top level, but you don't know the boots on the ground truth, and so you're missing out on that that really delicate piece of information. So, yeah, you know, one of my uh, my favorite methods I've come up with over the past uh, four years, maybe five years, I say four years, is the idea of I'm going to talk about it with my seniors. I'm going. We're going to talk about it. However, then when I'm on the, you know, on the floor and I'm talking with the juniors, I bring up in conversation, "Hey, what do you think about X, Y, and Z?" I want to hear their thoughts. Yeah, I want to know because maybe they're seeing something I won't. Right. So, and that's the whole idea behind it is like, hey, you know, how do you get out of that bubble? How you battlefield circulation? That's their perfect time to kind of pose ideas. Yeah. Hey, you know. I was thinking about this and you, or you could say somebody, you don't even have to place a name to something. You'd be like, somebody said something to me about X, Y, Z. What do you think about it? Oh man, you want to see some, you want to <laughs> see some brains just light up and, and give their opinion. And it's allowing that opinion. That's what's key. If they're scared to talk, we talked about fear earlier, right? Yeah. There's, that's part of that fear. Part of that fear is they're scared to tell you what they think. Uh-uh. Be an open book. And if you can't, oh man. The stuff you'll hear and learn, you're just like, oh my goodness. Yeah, just listen. You, We've talked about you, it. You, listen. Yeah, you may have a point where you're oh. like, we got a serious problem here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so we got attain distance before deciding. Do you have any thoughts about like that whole attaining distance before you decide? Uh, I think, you know, that goes, you hear them talk about like being too close to the situation, right? Like that's yeah. kind of removing yourself to make that decision. Um, so I think that's where, at least that's my, what I've perceived that to mean is just kind of take a step back. Don't make a decision. Heat of the moment. Like, you know, calm down. Don't have emotions involved. That kind of stuff. I think you'll avoid that by doing that. Yeah. I, I, well, I want to say, um, we're, we're, you know, we both listen to the Jocko podcast and, um, one of the things he hits about is basically disconnecting. Disengaging from yeah. the situation, and that's what that is. Break contact, uh, and then yeah, break yeah, break that contact, and just kind of step back, look at the whole thing, and be like, oh, okay, I got you. You know, it's yeah. that's not hard to do. It it really isn't. Um, and the decision, prepare to be wrong. That's you and I. We both we both chimed in when I said that. It's like those there's people who think they have to be wrong all the time, and if they are, then they realize, then they think, no, I'm right. You know, it's hey, how do you prepare to be wrong, right? Um, your thoughts on being decisive. Do you have anything you want to add into this at all? Like just from a, a viewpoint? No, I was just, you know, the confirmation bias. I actually just had to read an article about a guy, a historian, um, who was charged with being a Holocaust denier because confirmation bias. So all his research, he really, uh, wow. lightened what really happened in, uh, in light of, you know, and, uh, Wow. What happens is this this lady writes a book and she kind of blasts him in this book as being a Holocaust denier. And wow. he decides, well, I'm going to sue. They're messing up my character. So he sues and he ends up being found guilty uh, based off of, you know, he has these rhymes that he does with his kids that they find out about and, and then digging in his research. And so it's very, very dangerous as a historian. You lose credibility. And I think the same thing. That's kind of what I was getting at is when you as a leader exercise confirmation bias, you lose credibility. 
you know, just like he did as a historian. The, the, yeah. the judge actually says he's not a historian. He's a liar. And that's what you uh, put yeah. yourself in danger of when you, as a leader, have this confirmation bias. Like, everything's not yeah. going to be the way you see it. You got to, um, you know, you got to put that in your kit, put that away and look at it with, like, a clear vision, right? I think right. confirmation bias is something I think probably both of us, they talk about a lot in the Equal Opportunity Leaders course. Uh, because, you know, the problem, the soldier has this issue and maybe you, based off of your background, your culture, don't see it as an issue like they do, but you have to be able to put that aside and look at it for what it really is, you know, and that's that attain distance before deciding. Same thing, like step back, check yourself and then approach what we need to do next, Brian. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a great point. You know, it's that it's that idea that we, I, I didn't know about the historian though. That's 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 key because how much? So that's one person. Yeah. How much in history has been kind of pushed aside or hidden or you know because of a confirmation bias or because yeah. people just don't want to accept the truth? That's that right there. That's that last one. If you think about it. Yep. It's okay to be wrong. It it there's nothing wrong with it. No, so, it's, it was an interesting uh, case. I'll send you a link. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. It's actually a pretty interesting case. Like that's insane, though. Yeah. Like you're you're literally denying the millions of deaths yes, that take place. So he's, he basically claimed the Germans never used gas. There was no proof of gas being used in the chambers, and yeah, uh, he actually gets arrested in Austria. For being a wow. Holocaust denier, he actually serves a little bit of time for that. No way. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. yeah. This is recent. This was like 06. That he was already, he he went to court over this. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> it's it's a shame, you know. So and that's the thing. Um, but are there leaders out there that are like that, Ed? Yeah, there are. Oh yes. Yeah. There are. My way. Is, I see it the right way. I'm right. Like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so Ed, if here's my question to you, you know, if people want to see us the right way, um, you know, cause we're always right. You know, <coughs> like, you know, if they wanted to know who we are so they could further understand and they could do their research to know that they're trusting in a team, not just a, a team. team, a team, the team, <laughs> the team of instinctive influencers. What could they do, my friend? Well, Brian, I'm glad you asked. They could check us out on our various uh, social. You are distracting me. Oh, uh, oh, read it. That's all you got to. I think I just, I just. All right, they can it. search 101 influence on the various social media platforms on Facebook. They can answer the questions, join the group, and get involved. Uh, they can go on YouTube and they can take a look at this episode here, which will be episode 98, The Leadership Lessons of Gettysburg. Yeah. They can subscribe to the Instinctive Influencers YouTube page. They can give us a big thumbs up and they can give yeah, us some AR big, comments. Big I mean, thumbs up, like yeah. huge thumbs yeah. up. Actually, people are going to see it in the middle of this screen. I'm going to put one right between you and I of a huge thumbs up. I'm going to green screen. <laughs> yeah. The green screen. Yeah, yeah, so uh, and then they can check us out also on the uh, yeah, what's that thing called? The gram. They can find us on one on one influence uh, on the gram as well. So these are the various ways they can check us out, Brian. Yeah, be in touch with I, my Canadian side. They can check us out. Out. 
about about it's all about it no, no, I get you. I, in trouble. Yeah, I, yeah. Your wife will be so mad. Um, I, I want to tell a hey, listeners, thank you so very much for the support we get, all the cool, uh, the cool comments, and uh, just and the thought, like somebody mentioned it in a comment just the other day, is like, oh my goodness, you guys, you guys are really going at this. You're almost at a hundred episodes. It's like, yeah, like we hit number one hundred. Two more. I can't episodes. wait for one hundred and one. Yeah, because we've already determined what we're going to talk about, so <laughs> I can't wait either. Um, it may or may not have to be about that particular unit, you know, because that's so special. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, well, exactly what you said, Ed. If if you could just go and give us that thumbs up, give us give us some comments, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it straight from this whole this whole thing we did about lessons, and I want to talk about that. Be prepared to be wrong. Uh, if somebody thinks, Hey, we probably should hit upon X, Y, and Z, or no, you didn't talk about this. Let us know. We Absolutely. don't mind. We do not mind feedback. Feedback's free and feedback helps us grow and become better. PT um, is also free. It is. Well, physical training or are yeah. you talking about physical therapy? Well, physical therapy for you right now is free too. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing some different stuff. Uh, but with that, Ed, um, do you have anything else for the listeners before we kind of shove this out? No, I think that, uh, let me think. No, I think that's it, Brian. It's been a good week. It has, uh, with that, I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. We thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your day. Have a good one. Uh, you got a cool off drink. La Croix. I'm out of coffee. I'm out of coffee. Yeah, I had some ex- I had espresso and probably not a good idea at three o'clock in the afternoon.